Today on Abounding Grace, we're confronted with a timely and critical question worthy of careful consideration. I'm sure you've noticed that we're living in a culture that's increasingly becoming more hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ in general and toward Christians in particular, which reminds us that we're living on a spiritual battlefield. And because the world is hostile, what you'll find is that in, there'll be times in your life that you will be in the middle of an ethical dilemma. An ethical dilemma. You could say that you're in the middle of a spiritual crossroads, a fork in the spiritual road where you need to make a choice and it's going to require you to choose. And the choice will be this in our culture. Will you obey God or man? This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set Okay, let's face it. There are pressures today to compromise that didn't exist 20 or 30 years ago. And many are caving in and embracing the world's message and the lie of the enemy. But today on Abounding Grace, we'll be encouraged to go in a different direction, one of unwavering commitment to God. Pastor Ed Taylor recalls the story of three Hebrews who were unwilling to bow to a false religious system and challenges us to follow in their footsteps. Yes, we need people like that today. So let's be encouraged to stand for Christ, even when all around us are bowing in the wrong direction. We're in Daniel 3. Take your Bibles, open them, would you please, to Daniel chapter 3. Uh, we'll be reading from the New Living Translation as we continue our study, picking up where we left off in chapter 3. Opens up about 20 years later, we learned. 20 years has a tendency to change your mind about things. Many times you're able to change your life in a positive way. For Nebuchadnezzar, it changed in a negative way. And yet for Daniel and for the three young men that were with him, they in 20 years became stronger in faith, not weaker. And it's possible as you continue to grow in the things of God that year by year as God allows you, you'll become stronger in faith. We look at times of the examples of people that might have fallen away or turned their back on God, but I have to say there are far more examples of men and women that have become stronger over the years, and God has done a great work of refining us and pruning us. And here, Nebuchadnezzar, he changes his mind a bit about God. And 20 years later, he erects this huge image, statue that's made of gold, and commands everyone to bow down when the music plays and to worship the image. And we learned that music is a powerful spiritual means that can be used both by the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And it's true that music has a way to move and motivate. It can move and motivate you to worship with intensity or can cause you to fall down in idolatry. And it's our prayer that no one here underestimates the effect of music on your hearts and minds and souls. And might I say the effect of Bible study. The Word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. 
So anytime you turn your attention to the study of God's word, to the reading of God's word, to the meditation upon God's word, to the memorization of God's word, it will, be, it will bear spiritual fruit in your life. Even if you don't see it, you know as well as I do that if you were to choose to plant a tree in your backyard, you would not be discouraged if you don't see much growth in the first year or in the second year because it takes time and there's a process of growth. So it is in your life. You might get frustrated where I've read the Bible, I read the Bible, I read the Bible, I'm not getting much out of it. That's not true. You've read the Bible, you read the Bible, you've read the Bible, but you haven't seen yet what you're getting out of it. There's an unseen part, the spiritual world, where we're stuck in the physical world and we don't see physical results right away. We do believe and we do trust what God's word says that if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap everlasting life. That is a promise of God, it's a fact, it's a spiritual principle. And so staying in the word and feeding your mind in the right way, Jesus put it this way, didn't he? In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, he said, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And what you say flows from what is in your heart. Or in the New King James, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's always good to see your heart, the innermost part of your being, as a treasury that you can deposit constantly and continually, either good things or evil things. And what you deposit is what will come out. So with Nebuchadnezzar here, notice in verse 8 of chapter 3, it says, But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king! You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the scyther, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments. Verse 11. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and offered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God, little g, notice, will be able to rescue you from my power. This is a dramatic change that we see in Nebuchadnezzar's life, that his anger gets the best of him again, and he flies into a rage. Now remember Daniel's favor with Nebuchadnezzar extended to his friends, and they were promoted to lead the country. The Chaldeans were probably a little upset with this and jealous. Jealousy will do bad things in your heart. <laughs> Jealousy will create bad thoughts in your mind. And if you're not careful, it leads you to do really bad, sinful things. The antidote to jealousy is contentment. What God has given to us and the place and station that he's given to us, to be content, to be content where we are, to be content with what we have. And really, another antidote to jealousy is to be happy for others when good things happening in their life. 
to be encouraged, especially if it's a brother or sister. And just to say, you know, it's really good that the Lord's blessing you. It's really good. It's, it's exciting. Instead of, I can't believe it. I'm never blessed. I never get that. Poor me. Poor. And then your jealousy just takes over. And here are these young men promoted. They're, they're not even Chaldeans. They're, they're not even, they, they haven't even gone through. It's been 20 years now, so the school is over. But they haven't really been born there. They haven't worked through it. They haven't, you know, it's a special favor that God's showing. And I have seen a special nastiness of jealousy of God's favor on someone's life. Where God is just blessing someone and it blinds a person to seeing the faithfulness and blessings of God in your own life because you want what someone else has. And it's, it's truly a good thing to be happy when other people, you know, for example, as a church family, from the very beginning of our church, I have attempted and I believe I've been successful in many ways to disciple us as a church to be happy for what's happening in other churches in our city, to be happy about it. It's a good thing that there are other churches in our city. It's a good thing that there are a variety of good, solid Bible teaching churches in our city with good, solid leadership that, that reach a variety of different people because God uses them. And so if we hear of a church growing faster than us, we should be happy about that because the church, that church growing is this church growing. We're the church. And we should be happy if we hear some great thing happening or some church coming into town. You go, you know, church planners have a difficulty with this because, you know, they, they're plowing away, plowing away, and God is giving them growth at the pace that God is giving them. And then another church comes to town, and they just have a million people on the first Sunday. And something we should be happy about, something we should be excited about, something where God is getting attention, where the gospel is being preached— through a lack of contentment or insecurity, a lot of different things can make us upset over the work of God in our city. But we really should be happy about the work of God in our city. We should be happy that the Lord is working. We, we should be happy we get to co-labor with one another. And we think that as a church, we also think that individually. But I think the Chaldeans, I think the astrologers and such were, were jealous and upset. And now they see their opportunity. It's almost as if they've been planning and plotting for 20 years, waiting you know, the enemy of God, the devil, is very patient. Very patient. Waiting it out. Waiting for that opportunity in our lives. Walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. It's almost like they've been waiting for 20 years and now they've got them. Because it's an obvious disobedience to the decree of the sovereign king. And they come and make a direct charge. Did you notice? They made a direct charge. They, they said that in verse 12, there are some Jews. And can you imagine the face or the tone of voice that they say before the king? They're, they're contorting their face. And, you know, there are some Jews, and they name them by name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You put in charge, but here's their, here's their accusation. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. That's not true. They paid perfect attention. They would never be able to disobey the king unless they paid attention to the king. So the enemy loves to twist things. They pay no attention to you. Of course they do. They heard the decree. And the second part was true. They refused to bow down. That was true. They refused to bow down. They pay no attention to you, but they refuse to bow down. And you said, and you, they, as, it, as it's true, they were they're refusing to serve your gods and they're not worshiping the gold statue that you set up. Uh, in the New King James, it says that they have paid no 
regard do your name. And that's a false accusation. They did respect the king and serve the king faithfully. But what they're, what's being seen here is that they refuse to compromise in their relationship with God. They refuse to worship the image. That's true. They refuse to serve the pagan gods of the nation. That's true. And this is a classic example of what we may see today known as civil disobedience by the people that were in authority. They refused, and they refused, and they refused again. Let me show you. Go over to Luke's gospel with me, would you? Because we see this resistance modeled in Jesus Christ as he is tempted by the devil himself. Look, notice with me in Luke chapter 4, as we see the example of Jesus Christ, the perfect man, resisting temptation. Luke 4, pick up with me in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You might just want to mark that. We're not going to exposit that today, but you might want to mark it because you might be in the wilderness today and you wonder how you got there. Sometimes the Holy Spirit leads you into the wilderness. Sometimes that's his leading to a place of testing. And it says, notice in verse 2, he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. And the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. And the answer for Jesus was resistance. No. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. And then the devil took him up on a, uh, and revealed to him all the kings of the world in a moment of time. I'll give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they're mine to give to anyone I please. And I'll give to you all if you worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, then jump off. Because the Bible says, he who will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they'll hold you up with, his ha with their hands, and you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him, notice, until the next opportunity came. For us today, it requires a great amount of continual resistance in the culture that we live. I'm sure you've noticed that by now. It requires a continual resistance in the culture in which we live to refuse to compromise spiritually. Now, when you hear the word compromise, there's really two types of compromise. There's a good compromise where the idea of that definition of that word is where you meet in the middle with someone and you're working something out and you compromise and you meet in the middle and you resolve something. From the biblical perspective, compromise is used in a way that leads towards sin. For example, it would have been tremendous compromise and disobedience for these young men to bow to that image. I mean, they have come so far all, all the way. They have stood the test of time for 20 years. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for 20 years, and you're like, am I being tempted by this now? Yes, you are. And you shouldn't be surprised. Because even though you faced some temptations a few years ago, and then it seems like the last couple years have been pretty chill and pretty good walking with the Lord, and then all kinds of crazy temptations come. Why? Because the enemy left you until the next opportunity, until an opportune time. I'm sure you've noticed that we're living in a culture that's increasingly becoming more hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ in general and toward Christians in particular, which reminds us that we're living on a spiritual battlefield. 
And because the world is hostile, what you'll find is that there'll be times in your life that you will be in the middle of an ethical dilemma. An ethical dilemma. You could say that you're in the middle of a spiritual crossroads, a fork in the spiritual road where you need to make a choice and it's going to require you to choose. And the choice will be this in our culture. Will you obey God or man? When man's laws supersede God's laws, what will you choose? Will you stand strong for the Lord or will you bow down to the enemy? As I've said many times before, just because you can doesn't mean you should. So that the laws of the land, they transform and they change. And if you're one to say, well, whatever the laws of the land are, what do you do when the laws of the land confront the Bible and the truths of the Bible? Will you choose God or man? Again, let me show you what I mean. Turn over to Acts chapter 5, because this is exactly what happened to the believers, to the disciples in the early church. In Acts chapter 5, pick up with me in verse 26. Acts chapter 5, verse 26. Where we find the apostles met with a spiritual crossroads, with a dilemma, ethically, morally, spiritually. It says, The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, because they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders. Listen, this was the law of the land. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death. And Peter and the apostles replied, and you might want to mark this, we must obey God rather than human authority. And the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. And God put him in a place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. And he did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witness of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. When they heard this, verse 33, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. And he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care what you're planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Thutius who pretended to be someone great and 400 people joined him, but he was killed and all the followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too. And all of his followers were scattered. So my advice is this. Leave these men alone. Let them go. If they're planning, on, they're planning and doing these things merely on, the own, on their own, it'll be overthrown. But if, if it's from God, you'll not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles, had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And the apostles left the high council, rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message that Jesus is the Messiah. So Peter stands there and he goes, hey, you know what? We're going to obey God and not man. And then they get into a frenzy. 
and Gamaliel, who had said it, discipled Saul of Tarsus, that Paul, Saul of Tarsus sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He gave some wisdom, some practical advice, and then they brought him in, they beat them, and then commanded them not to teach in the name of Jesus anymore. They left rejoicing, and what was their first choice? They went from house to house doing what? Teaching of the good news and preaching the gospel. The apostles stand for obedience, brought with them a beating, rods, 39 stripes across the back. So here they are helping each other, and up to what? They go back to the temple, and they start preaching again. They didn't give up. They didn't give in. They didn't compromise. And how we need to pray for that heart on our own lives, that we wouldn't cave in under the pressure, that we would have boldness to face any situation. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Today's message is aptly titled, Sometimes You Just Have to Say No. Hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, as you were talking about a crossroads we face in life, will we obey God or man? Can you think of a modern-day example of how we can take a courageous stand for the Lord even today? Well, Larry, you know this Bible study is airing in the middle of the greatest crisis that we have ever experienced uh, here in the United States, at least in my generation, you know, the pandemic-wise, obviously we're not talking about world wars and those things, but crisis in the sense of uh, not only the danger of a virus and, and all the unknowns and knowns, but the government overreach, the choices of men and women in government to do things that seemingly don't make any sense, that are unconstitutional. Uh, you know, like like saying, number one, you can't gather together. Uh, number two, you can't sing together. Number three, you can't have a Bible because you might spread the germs or the viruses. And listen, when the government makes a law, enacts a law that is directly causing us to choose to obey the government and disobey God or obey God and disobey the government, choose God with whatever the consequences are. Choose to obey God. Uh, the, the idea of not meeting together, uh, you know, in the beginning of the whole COVID crisis, we were looking at it and go, you know, we don't know what we're dealing with. Let's cooperate and let's go online for a while to see what happens. But now with the numbers so low, uh, even as we're recording this here in Colorado, there are 134 people in the hospital right now in the whole state uh, with COVID-related symptoms. And we don't want to minimize in any way the reality of those 134 people or their families, or even those that have lost their lives due to complications from COVID. In no way do we want to minimize that. We want to walk in wisdom. Uh, We want to be in a position where we are valuing one another, showing preference to one another and humility. Uh, At the same time, there, there is a sense when the government chooses to overreach, when the government chooses to enact laws that are not not ne- not necessarily against the Constitution, but against the Bible. That is where we have to take our stand. Uh, there are necessities of obeying God or man. And, you know, God predated the Constitution, so he's the one that invented worship. He's the one that told us to come together. He's the one that invented the church. So I think that's, a. I, I mean, if you want a modern day later, I could think of a lot of little things, you know, things at work, Um, situations that are unfair, uh, choices that need to be made, 
Um, but that's a modern day one. And I'm just so proud of the body of Christ. Um, I know there's a lot of division, a lot of difficulty, but there's also a lot of unity, a lot of encouragement. So let's pray for one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's strengthen one another. And and let's enjoy the time where we can gather together. But that's not the most important time. The most important time is when we leave and we go into the world as the church, where the church gathered. Why? For the church to be scattered. So let's go for it and obey God in every area of life. So, so good. Ah just encouraging. Let's go for it. Thank you for those insightful words, Pastor Ed. Yes, these are frightening times for many in our world today, but how can we as Christians stand courageously? In Tom Doyle's book, Standing in the Fire, you'll be encouraged as you read about certain heroes of the faith that stood strong in the face of danger. We too can stand courageously in the fire we're faced with. Request a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as our way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. Well, don't miss our next study in Daniel. It's going to be a good one. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 